Well, I wasn't concentrating there. I was talking to these two lovely ladies, Emma and Simone, who are in the studio. And, uh, well, first of all, I'll say a big hello to Emma. Hello. <laughs> I see you, you brought your support team with you because it's half term, isn't it? Yes, yes. One small child. <laughs> now, uh, obviously, every month we announce the community hero in the spotlight. Was this your idea, Emma, you know, to come up with this so, sort of recognition of, of a whole l- host of different charities? Yeah, so it was about... So I think we've been doing this a year now. So, um, uh, yeah, about a year ago, we, we we wanted to look at how do we champion and celebrate voluntary and community sector organisations, particularly some of the, the smaller organisations that don't necessarily get the coverage or people don't know about them as well as they they should so yeah we kind of thought thought up the community heroes in the spotlight initiative which is great now for the on initiative the people who don't know that the community action network is is an umbrella organization supporting loads and loads of voluntary organizations i mean how many emma so over 500 so that's a, that means you've got it. You've got a huge choice. Are you are you getting new organisations join all the time? Yeah, yeah. So one of my, one of my roles as partnerships manager is to kind of promote and champion our membership to organisations. So um, share about the training that we offer and the advice and the guidance and and the networking opportunities and things. So if a, if an organisation is interested in any of that, we encourage them to join as a member. Now talking about about training, yeah. Well. Shall we say pre-COVID? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're doing lots and lots face to face, weren't mm-hmm. you? Yeah. But of course, you didn't abandon it through through COVID, did you? No, no, no. We've we've moved all online, so we now offer webinars and all sorts of stuff. Is that why you're wearing that Zoom hat? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and have you uttered those famous you're words? You're on mute. Yes, you're on mute <laughs> all of the time. <laughs> Although, mind you, I suppose when you think about when we think back, I mean, it was a bit of a lifeline, wasn't it? You know, Zoom and Teams mm. or whatever technology, you know. Uh, but it would have presented huge challenges to the voluntary sector, wouldn't it? Yeah. So of course, there's lots of um, organisations had to really think really fast about how would they deliver their services. Moving moving forward and zoom and teams kind of offered an opportunity for them to kind of evolve and develop but at the same time it was looking at well how do we make sure that we're still engaging with those groups that don't necessarily uh, have digital means or computers or mobile phones that they can kind of log on with so um yeah Yeah. we've had to kind of really think about how how do we continue to deliver our services in an effective but accessible way and of course in the second hour of the program we've got your colleague liz coming in uh going to talk us to about the volunteer fairs which Mm. are going to be happening in march but of course volunteers well the response during covid was astounding wasn't it oh just phenomenal yeah so just really i I love this stat but i'm sure liz will use it as well But, but for the year this last year where we've been supporting the mass vaccination sites and getting everyone jabbed we've had um about three thousand volunteers that have given up 80,000 hours worth of volunteer time which is just phenomenal in, in 12 months 80,000 hours that's just phenomenal that is huge and of course well I all have seen that I mean because I, I went along to, to have me jabs myself you know and uh, and of course there was always people there with the the yellow jackets on you know whatever and of course I realized that they were all volunteers <laughs> uh, doing a sterling job don't sit there uh, this way <laughs> one <Yeah>. way <laughs> Mr Crawford stop doing that <laughs> uh, yeah but doing a sterling job you yeah know, they've uh, been phenomenal we yeah. wouldn't we, we, the, the the whole operation wouldn't have been able to work without them 
yeah. at all. And, and of course, people volunteer. I mean, I always say to you when you volunteer, it's selfish. But I, what I mean by that is that, that actually it saves you going stir crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you're giving of your time and your effort uh, to whatever good cause, of course, that, you know, appeals. And there's so many. I mean, I think that a lot of volunteer organizations, they would just cease to operate. Yeah, and uh, you know, and in fact, even local authority, some uh, quite a lot of that work would, would come to a grinding mm. halt were it not supported by you know by volunteers. Completely agree. And one one of a quote that really stands out from a volunteer that's been supporting through the pandemic was that we've saved their life, and that's what. And we were kind of like, oh no, I don't know. And he was like, no, no. If I if I didn't come out every day to kind of do this, so I don't know where I'd have been. So that just just shows the huge impact actually. Not only are we yeah. having on the community, but also the volunteers are ge- gaining from kind of supporting their communities as well. Well, now let's come to the real reason why you're here today, mm. and that's, of course, to announce uh, the the charity that's been selected as this month's Community Hero in the Spotlight. Always a difficult choice. Yes. But do you always start out, because when you, know, when you write to me, you say, we've decided on this particular theme. So do you do that every month? Do you first of all decide, okay, this is the sort of theme we're going to go, go with and now who's out there? Yeah, yeah. So what we just to make it a little bit easier for us really to kind of identify what who who how does the vote work? So we every every month we have a vote with with our in our team and um, the pictures that are put forward um, they can select from those pictures but rather than just kind of opening it up to a really wide variety you invite a selector yeah. on that theme yeah so anyone that can, thinks they meet that theme then we, we ask them to kind of put themselves forward just to make it a little tiny bit easier not often very easier but <laughs> a little tiny bit and you've had great response haven't you from different organisations oh we have phenomenal response the amount of organisations that put themselves forward is, is just huge and it, it, it is such a hard because they the stories and the support and the advice and the guidance that they give is just amazing so we've been trying to think about how can we make sure we're supporting that the rest of those organizations that have put themselves forward but haven't necessarily been successful um, which is really really difficult so we're talking about something here which is very competitive and to be selected is a real honor Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I haven't been selected yet because I, I don't come up to the mark. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think I'm actually disqualified. You know, because because you come, well, come in, in and, and speak to you about you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, you, you've picked a, a fantastic organisation this week. I've done a wee bit of reading up on 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 their work. I let you announce who they are. Yeah. So this this month we we chose a really really important theme, um, which is the sexual abuse and sexual violence awareness week, which which took place between the 7th and the 13th of February. So um, the organisation that we wanted to kind of champion and celebrate this this month, kind of w- we wanted someone that kind of raised awareness of this important topic and provided an o- opportunity for kind of organisations and individuals to kind of start the conversation and start kind of recognising and making sure that we are talking about something that can be really, really difficult for people. Um, so the organisation this um, this month is STAR, so the Sexual Trauma Recovery Service, which is, they're, they're a phenomenal organisation. The work they do is just 
I, I'm in awe of it. It's just, it's just amazing. Time now for me to talk uh, to the lovely Simone. Is it Galston is your surname? It is, yeah. Just make sure I get, I get it right. There's nothing worse than pronouncing <laughs> names wrong, Simone. Now, obviously, we're going to be talking about about stars, Dorset. But I know that long before you know you joined the charity, you you were very passionate about working with young people, and you worked for the Dorset Youth Service. I did, yeah. Well, Bournemouth Youth Service, as yeah. Was, yeah, I worked. Um, with young people with the um, the youth council at that time and also young people that were at risk of becoming homeless as well. So what was it that, that attracted you eventually, you know, to, to work for STARS? Well, I've always worked with um, people, young people particularly, and I'd after working for the youth service, I spent a long time working for children's services, Dorset Children's Services, and I just really got to the point where I thought I really missed being in the voluntary sector. And I saw the job become available at um, what was Dorset Rape Crisis at that time. We became stars. And the job just really appealed to me. It was working with um, volunteers. It was motivating people to kind of be take action within their community. So um, I applied for that role initially, and that was in 2016. And then since then, both my role and the, the charity have developed. Now, obviously, you mentioned that the charity started out as Dorset uh, uh, Rape Centre. Um, and... Obviously, the demand, I suppose you said sadly, the demand meant that, of course, the charity then had to grow and, mm. and, and, and develop. But in those early days, if you, if you were to give us a picture of what the work was like in those early days, what, would you, what sort of picture would you paint? Well, Dorset Rape Crisis, or the East Dorset Rape Crisis line, as it was originally known back in 1988, was primarily a support line for people who had experienced rape or sexual assault. And um, it was open to all, but it was primarily female volunteers speaking to female survivors or victims of assault. Um, and uh, it was a kind of a, a new concept, I guess, at that time where people didn't fully understand the, the depth of the, of the problem. And so it was completely volunteers and it continued that way until 2012, which was when the charity then starts to develop into the organisation that we see now. And although, as you said, you had that female sort of focus, uh, of course, the sadly, the challenges goes well beyond gender, doesn't it? And, uh, we, and I suppose that was pretty evident even, even in the days of the telephone service. Absolutely. I think that it's a preconception that this is purely a female um, issue. It's not. We do know that the uh, majority of victims and survivors do tend to be female. Um, but we also recognise that men are also victims and survivors of sexual assault and rape. Um, we as an organisation work with people of any gender, however they identify, um, for us, it's about the trauma and helping supporting people to work through the trauma. It's not necessarily about anybody's history or, or how they identify. And of course, because of the very nature, you know, of, of rape or sexual violence of, of any kind, I suppose it means it's very, very difficult for people to, to get the courage to talk to, to anybody, even, even a, I guess, in the past, to pick up the phone, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what, what were you able to do in those early days, you know, um, you know, as rape crisis and then obviously with Charity Morphing into stars? How, how were you able to encourage people to, you know, to, to talk to you? I think a lot of the work that we do is about breaking down taboos and stereotypes around sexual assault. Um, 
I don't think that the need for our services has necessarily grown. I think that people's ability to come forward and ask for support has changed. Society's attitudes have changed. I think that, you know, we we know from our clients and the people that we work with that there is a lot of shame and um, self sort of blame and guilt surrounding this issue and that people often think that they are somehow to blame for what's happened to them. And often we have a lot of societal myths as well that reinforce that stereotype. So people might talk about, you know, why did you walk home alone or why does somebody wear that outfit as if that was somehow a contributing factor to the fact that they were assaulted which of course we know when we break that down logically that that doesn't make any sense at all that it has nothing to do with what somebody is wearing you know that the blame for um, a sexual assault or rape always lies with the perpetrator Um, and so a lot of the work that we do whether it's around social media campaigns and the, the sexual abuse and sexual violence awareness week that we've just had which we mark every year is very much about um, awareness raising campaigns and one of the things that we're really passionate about at STARS is challenging victim blaming culture so that is the idea that people then use myths to associate the blame for what has happened either partially or solely on the victim why do you think people do that you know what what, what, why do you think there was on many people's parts the the need to 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 blame or where you know you were you were dressed provocatively or or you were in the wrong place. I mean, you should, you, that was a dodgy area. You shouldn't have gone there, whatever. But why the tendency to do that? I think it's a really, it's a really interesting thing that we do. And I think that as a society, we do it around a lot of issues. I think that one of the reasons why we do it is it's a really good way of keeping ourselves safe. So if I can identify a reason why something happened to you and I ensure that me and my loved ones don't follow that same pattern of behaviour, then my world becomes a safe place. The idea that random, violent, dangerous things can happen to somebody for no reason is a really scary concept. And so if I can say, well, actually, if I don't allow the people in my family to dress a certain way or to go to certain areas of town, then I can keep them safe. But of course, that we know that the majority of sexual assaults and rapes happen in people's homes or in somebody else's home. Often people will know their perpetrator. They're more likely to know their perpetrator than not. Because there's a lot of grooming that goes on as well, isn't absolutely, there? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, perpetrators um, gain the trust not only of the, the victim, but of the protective factors around that victim. So whether it's their support networks, um, other people in the community. So, you know, there's a lot of work that goes behind the, the work of a perpetrator to gain gain that trust within their community. So the myths are very helpful in as much that they help us to keep our own world safe, but actually they're very unhelpful in the fact that, A, they, they reinforce things that simply are not true, and also they keep um, survivors silent as well because they then internalise that blame. Now, obviously, we're not going to talk individual cases this morning for obvious reasons, mm. but but what tends to provoke people or, um, or to encourage people to make that first contact? And when they do make the first contact uh, in, in this case with stars uh what happens so i think that i mean first of all for somebody to come forward and seek support is an incredibly brave thing to do and um, we have the utmost respect for anybody that takes that step um I think there's a a whole series of reasons why that could be. It might be because they have reached a point where they feel that it is 
um, an opportune time for them to step outside of a relationship. It might be that they have stayed silent because they are protecting other people within that network. Um, but for whatever reason they choose to take that step, um, I think it's about them perhaps feeling that they are in a safe enough space to do that. So people can um, either call um, STARS and make a self-referral or they can speak to their GP. Often if people report a crime, then the police will refer them into STARS for support as well. So um, there's a whole sort of number of ways that you can be referred in. So for, for somebody who has been, you know, a victim, really, mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess, to, as you say, to get the courage to make that first call, uh, to just to reassure them, actually, that, that what they're going to get is a person who is actually sympathetic, who is obviously... A, a, professionally trained Mm. uh, as well and of course everything highly confidential absolutely yeah so there's a number of ways you can get um, support from stars we have a support line which is completely anonymous so you don't have to give your name you can call you can speak to one of our specially trained volunteers and just simply talk through some of the thoughts and feelings that you might be having Um, you don't have to give any details about the assault you don't have to give any information about the perpetrator it's completely confidential and that can be quite an important first step for people just to be able to tell their story and have somebody hold that space for them so that they can talk that through we are what we call a client-led service so we never push or try and persuade our clients to do anything so you do not have to report to the police to seek support with us if you come into the counselling service again nobody is going to ask you to give details of the assault itself that is purely driven by the client so they share the information that they feel comfortable so the client is always in control absolutely yeah and we recognise that as well because often people that have lived in um, domestically abusive or sexually violent relationships that a lot of their power and control has been taken away from them. So it's really important that we as an organisation remain client-led and we help to empower people to take that journey themselves. This is Hope FM. Now, my very special uh, guest today is Simone Gosden. Simone is the Head of Operations at STARS Dorset. STARS stands for Sexual Trauma and Recovery Service. And she was just sharing with us a little bit about uh, the work, um, you know, of of the charity. Uh, Simone, I mean, obviously, we're just hopefully coming out of probably the most challenging uh, few years with the pandemic. Has there been a greater demand for the service that you, you, you guys are offering yeah, no, we have. We've seen an increase in referrals sort of during and also coming out of the pandemic, which we did anticipate. We were aware that there would be a lot of people isolating with people that essentially they were frightened of. And so, um, and also what we saw were people who perhaps hadn't seeked support. They were in a safe place, but they um, had all of their normal coping strategies taken away. So because of the lockdown, they weren't going out to work every day. They weren't able to access yoga classes, meet with friends for coffee and things like that and so actually by the very nature of being in isolation they were being triggered and then actually coming forward and saying this past his this past trauma hasn't been resolved and i do need to seek support now all of your services are without charge yeah uh, and they're open to anybody yeah of any gender or or whatever and of course you're dealing with a broad range of sexual violence aren't you Mio? yeah uh, and i suppose that includes innuendo you know the the sort of threat of it you know yeah so the the nature of the assault um isn't what's important to us it's the impact on the individual so the way that that person experiences the trauma is actually what we work with and we'll work with anybody as you say of any um gender of any age um, and regardless of when they experience that trauma as well so we might have people that are coming to us for something that's happened in childhood 
and you know and they could be in their 80s for us it's not about how long ago the trauma happened it's about how it impacts that individual and for the individual if they haven't had the opportunity to process and resolve that trauma then it will feel to them as though it happened yesterday and as operations manager what what do you have to do i mean i, I can just see you juggling a million balls in in the air increased demand uh, and i guess the the service is delivered still on the telephone but also of course in person as well yep. and you have specific counseling services as, as well Yep, so we have a face-to-face counselling service. So that is probably how people would imagine a counselling service to run. You are allocated to a one um, counsellor who you will meet at a regular time um, each week. And that can be either in our centre in Paul or we also have a centre in Dorchester. During the pandemic, a lot of our counselling shifted to being online, so people were able to um, meet with their counsellor via Teams or Zoom, as lots of people have been operating during the pandemic. It's been a lifeline, really, isn't it? It's, it's, I mean, it's been amazing. Without Zoom, I don't know what we would have done, really. But um, So, th- so our counselling services continued for those clients that were able to manage that within their home. Some people delayed their therapy until they were able to come into the centres face-to-face. And, you know, and, and we opened the centres. We were observing all of the COVID protocols to try and keep the centres as, as safe as possible. So we were able to continue with those services. We also have um, an independent sexual violence advisory service. So they work with clients who perhaps are going through the court system. They give practical and emotional guidance and advice. And again, during the pandemic, all of those services stayed operational, um, either via Zoom or via telephone. And now that we are coming out of, um, of lockdown, they are able now to start resuming some of that face-to-face contact as well. Now, obviously, high demand and to keep those wheels turning requires a number of very important things, not the least of which being manpower, mm. volunteers. Um, do you get many people coming along and, and volunteering? And, and when they do come along, what happens? So volunteers are the absolute core of everything that we do. We started off as a voluntary organisation. We only started having um, sort of funding for paid roles in 2012. So we're still very much at our core, a voluntary organisation. We benefit from about 80 volunteers at any one time. So the majority of our councillors give their time as volunteers. And then we also have volunteers who, um, all of our support line listeners are volunteers. They all give their time um, each month and then we have um, volunteers who support us within our admin team we have volunteers that support us with events and community engagement we even have volunteers now that help us with some of the schools work where we deliver consent work within schools in Dorset as so well. So there's a whole range of, of opportunities. We are so fortunate at STARS we really do have an amazing team of volunteers I mean one of our long, our longest serving volunteer has been with us for over 30 years so we are really fortunate and we have a, com- a complete mix of people as well so we've got people that come into us um, perhaps at the start of a career looking at working with the, within this kind of organization who want to see whether or not um, it's the right fit for them we offer all of our volunteers training um, so that's a really good way in for people that are thinking about going into this line of work we also have people that are perhaps either retired or cut back on the hours that they work but they come with a, a wealth of knowledge and experience that they still want to use as well so we are we're really fortunate and like I say we have people that will work directly with clients but also people that help us behind the scenes as well with things like social media and um, and yeah within and, the office and of course the volunteers are, are, are self-development for them as well isn't it I mean in a way it, it's fulfilling for a volunteer you know as long as they you put them in the right slot and I guess that's the 
the challenge right at the beginning to find the right you know the right slot for whichever volunteer you happen to be working with yeah so we have so we offer all of our front um, our client facing volunteers whether that's on the support line or counseling all go through six sessions of um, sexual violence awareness training listening skills training and trauma training depending on the role that they're coming into and sometimes through that process people might decide that actually they don't feel that the client-facing role is the right fit for them. We will always work with anybody that comes into the organisation to find the right role. So some people then might decide that, actually, I really want to be a part of the organisation. I really want to support the work. I'm very passionate about it. But this particular role doesn't feel like it's where I want to sit. So then we will look at whether or not working within the office is more appropriate, going out and doing events is more appropriate. So we're always very open. We get a lot of students as well from the university who are particularly interested in things around um, social media campaigning as well so we're very open to all of the skills and the knowledge that's out there but also working with people to develop the skills that they want to as well and of course the other thing that keep the, the wheels turning is the dreaded lucre you know the money mm-hmm. uh, side of it and uh, and of course for all voluntary organizations this is a challenge how, how do you fund the work that you do So we are funded by um, various different um, streams. So we do get some funding from the Ministry of Justice. We also get funding for our counselling services through the NHS and and lots of other organisations. Children in Need also do fund some of our roles. But they are, um, those pots of money are for particular roles and to fulfil a particular role. So when we... um, we look out to do our sort of challenge events, for example, and other fundraising. That then allows us the freedom to develop things within the centre to be able to make the client experience more comfortable. Well, Emma, turning to you again, we, we've been heard, Simone, and the range of work is astounding. And of course, the most important thing, the very the difference that it makes to you know to people's lives. And no doubt, if we had people in here who were recipients of your service, no, no doubt they would speak. Uh, passionately about that I can see why you chose them but, but what were the things that stood out in you know in as, as stars made their case to be the community hero of the month yeah so I think um, kind of speaking to the to the other members of the team what they what they loved was the fact that this was a voluntary focused organization that had um, that delivered services to some of the most vulnerable people across um, Bournemouth Christchurch and Paul and the wider Dorset and the kind of the key the, the, those specific services particularly around kind of the children and young people services I think it was just it was a heart thing isn't it really around mm-hmm. how kind of we we can see kind of that trauma that people go through um, having experienced some of this some of these um, sexual traumas and it's kind of like how do we we can relate and want want to kind of help and support and kind of champion that work really now if people want to make contact with the organization obviously one thing you can do is take a note of the of the website i had a look at it and it's full of very uh, interesting information and you'll find that at the stars dorset.org mm-hmm. as we do so it's www.starsdorset.org you mentioned actually earlier on someone a, a telephone number Yes, yeah, so we have our um, our support line, which is um, 01202 
Um, and again, people can get in touch with us as well by emailing info at starsdorset.org as well. So if they are interested, um, there's there's all sorts of different emails on our website. So we've got volunteering at Stars Dorset as well for people that are interested in volunteering. And you've got some training coming up quite soon, haven't you? Yeah, we have. We've um, we've got some online training with um, Christiane Sanderson, who is a therapist working in this area, and she's doing some specialist training. So that's open to anybody that's interested in this area of work. It's particularly aimed at um, people in a therapeutic role, like counsellors, but um, would also be of interest to social workers and people like that as well. Well, many congratulations to to Stasha your whole team for the fantastic work that, that you do and I guess the, the website is the place to start isn't it because the numbers are there absolutely and there's lots of blogs and things on there as well so if people are just interested in this as a topic there's a good starting point just to find out a little bit more about the work that's happening and also just some interesting sort of conversation pieces if you like if you're interested in this as a subject so it's starsdorset.org uh, well right. uh, as you leave and uh, well, actually we've got more lovely folk from Cannes the community Action Network coming in to talk to you about volunteering so it'll, it'll reinforce what you you guys have already been talking about if you want to know more about the work of Stars Dorset then check out that, that website they really do extensive amount of work there so that's starsdorset.org and of course Emma will be back next month to highlight yet another charitable organisation